from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the GoodAtheist.net bonus podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Jeffrey Jones. Welcome to episode 77, the episode on Scientology, the one that I had promised a little while ago. But it, uh, first of all, let me tell you one thing about researching psychology, uh, I mean Scientology before we begin. That it is so, you can lose yourself in this shit. There's rabbit hole after rabbit hole. You were sending me some research and I'm just like, ah, getting, not getting lost, it's just... It's just when you think you've heard all the crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, you have to consider that no other human being has published as many words as L. Ron Hubbard. He, he, he has that record. Yeah, but publishing as many words, that doesn't necessarily make you smart, right? Well, I'm not saying that it's easy, he's either smart or correct or anything, but just when you want to see how far down the rabbit hole it goes, you have to consider how much shit this this man wrote. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you probably had to wait. You have to wait through a lot. Like, wasn't he a fucking hack? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I I hear about it differently depending on who's doing the uh, uh, who's doing the presentation about the kind of qualities of uh, Hubbard because you have to understand that. I mean, really, who wouldn't you have called a sign a pulp writer back then a complete hack? But right. Well, what about um, Asimov? Isn't he from the same era? Yeah, he. Well, it's funny that you say that because Asimov and Hubbard were probably kind of uh, mirror opposites of one another. Because you have Hubbard, who always considered himself to be a, a real scientist. You know, he thought he was a scientist. On some some things that he wrote, he'd sign like Ph.D. or even nuclear physicist. <laughs> he would sign nuclear physicist. That is correct. He would. That's he would hilarious. sign nuclear physicist. Yeah. So uh, he clearly had this delusions um, of grandeur. Much, I think. I think you can, if you were to characterize Hubbard as having delusions of grandeur, you would be correct. Now, you you mentioned Asimov, who wrote science fiction as well. But I mean, Asimov had a had a PhD in chemistry, although he was more famous as an astronomer. Supposedly, I guess maybe chemistry is boring yes. or was boring to him. <laughs> I don't know. But a guy like Asimov, whatever, can do Why both, uh, or could do both. So I, I, I suppose you could say that there's a bit of parallel. So just because you write science fiction doesn't mean you're going to be a complete right. hack. Um, but in any case, mm-hmm. going back to just trying to do the research on Scientology, it was, I realized um, I was lucky and fortunate enough to talk to someone who had been in the organization. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I won't mention yeah. the name because – They're litigious. And we'll scary. get to this. This is what Scient- – Scientology is a scary, scary, scary. fucking f- phenomenon. Yeah. I, I was I was reading some of this information and like – I was just like, are we going to get sued for anything? <laughs> is is what what is that guy fucking that guy that guy? What the what is his the ShamWow ShamWow dude? No, not the ShamWow guy. The 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 head of Scientology who's always like getting angry at reporters. Oh, you mean Tommy Davis? Tommy Davis. God, I was listening to him earlier today. It's he's such a greasy like isn't he is he a villain like in some kind of kids movie where like a business is trying to overrun like a park or something? It sits me as one of those guys. Uh, he is he's actually part of that whole. Remember how um, Scientology has a lot of 
movie stars and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, his mom is a famous movie star, and Archer. He's a famous uh, movie star. No, he's not, but his parents are. Oh, okay. So uh, he's part of that. He's part of that whole culture, in a sense. He, that's why he's so crazy about it. But in any case, okay. Yes, like I just said, it is a. It's a huge topic, and. I actually was waiting for this contact to answer some of my questions because it's one thing to do the research, mm-hmm. but it's another to have, uh, I mean, do a, get, get some verification yeah. if you want. Because sometimes, I, I swear to you, there were times where I was researching this where I'm like, surely this has to be a lie. Yeah, There's is, no way that this can be happening. It's too crazy. And that, yeah, and, and that, that p- these people are in jail or they don't lose their status as religion. But then again, hey. We live in a world where the Catholic Church can rape thousands of kids and still uh, still walk around like it owns the place. <laughs> they are t- tax-exempt child rapists. Yay. Seriously. Okay, but before we start the show, there was something that Jeff wanted to talk about briefly, and I guess I'll bring it up too. Because uh, it's just been making the rounds, and I guess this is the way we're going to date ourselves. But uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, Bill O'Reilly put out a uh, – well, he was having a debate – with David uh, Silverman, who is basically the president of American Atheists. And they were having a debate going on and on, and uh, all of a sudden (laughs) he pulls out this whole, well, uh, how do you explain the tides (laughs) argument? That was his argument. Uh, Tide goes in, tide comes up. Never a miscommunication. Right, that is his quote. So a couple of days after that, he went on his YouTube channel, because he has one apparently, uh, trying to respond to a person, I think it was some kid who had written him saying, "Like, uh, doesn't that?" I don't think, I don't think it actually was a kid. Was it a kid? The thing is, is he got? I, I don't know if you, because because you you don't necessarily get um, the Daily Show and Colbert uh, over there, do you? Uh, no. All right, because basically Colbert and Stewart tore him a new one. They had um, that physicist guy, the astro- the the astronomer, the Neil 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 Tyson. Yeah, Neil Tyson. Uh, yeah, exactly. Neil deGrasse Tyson, I believe, is his name. Uh, they had him on there, and uh, he basically explained what happened. And he became a bit of a, and Bill O'Reilly became more so of a laughing stock, right? Right. Um, and so that was, I think, in his response was basically like, "Oh my God, the world thinks I'm an idiot." And so that was his, that was his uh, retort, was, "Oh yeah, well, how did the moon get there?" <laughs> Oh, yeah? Well, so are you. Well, I, I love how in his response he's like, how'd the moon get there, huh? Huh? Are we just, uh, did we evolve from some kind of a, a, a slime? Huh? Huh? I'm like, what the fuck does that have to do with huh? anything? Huh? How'd the slime get there? <laughs> yeah, how did the, wow. How'd the universe get there, huh? Huh? I'm like, how did God get there, Mr. O'Reilly? Oh, he willed himself. Yeah, exactly. I love his, I loved the, huh? 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 I'm like, what are you doing? Or he's like calling everybody a a pinhead. Yeah, like pinhead. Are you are you you on a playground calling some some kids out? Really? (laughs) You sound like an idiot, Bill. Come on, admit defeat, and that's it. Nobody, to be honest, nobody is going to change their opinion on God based on that that one incident. So let it go. Bow out gracefully. You almost have to wonder though if there's going to be there's got to be someone who's religious out there who used to believe in what Bill O'Reilly had to say, and then this was the last straw. You know what I mean? The problem I have with that is I find that Bill O'Reilly and Glenn Beck have a very similar – like if you were to draw a Venn diagram of of fans of these shows, the overlap would be huge. So I'm like, if you're going to list – like, and for me, Glenn Beck is way crazier than Bill O'Reilly. 
like oh fucking, Bill O'Reilly is a crank. Bill O'Reilly is exactly Glenn Bill Beck O'Reilly's, is nuts. Exactly, and so if if yourself if you listen to and follow Glenn Beck as though he knows what the fuck he's talking about, Bill O'Reilly's little rant about the moon—that's nothing. That is like that is freaking baby town frolics is what that is. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's Diet Coke. Exactly. There we go. It's Pepsi Max. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyways, all right. So we, I, I thought we'd mention that yeah. just to share one more time. It, it's it quite out. hilarious. I just I do love his lack of understanding of saying like, well, natural law proves that God is uh, yeah. God is real. I'm like, that's that's your argument. You don't want to go down that road, buddy. You really don't want to go down there. You're seriously outgunned in this department. Seriously. Okay, let's talk about Scientology. The first thing I want to talk about, and I guess, you know, you have really no choice but to ask, what is the purpose? What is the idea behind Scientology? Here's where I really wish I had a sound effect for a cash register. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but beyond this, all right, let's just – Scientology is not just, okay, one day Hubbard decides to incorporate a religion called Scientology. It it starts off in the 1950s where he writes in a a pulp fiction magazine something about Dianetics, writes an article about Dianetics as the science of the mind, and he tries to get this published in major – uh, journals of, of for, for for psychia you know for, for psychiatry and, and, and psychology in general because he says this is a new way to understand how the mind works so it's essentially dianetics which became a book in 1950 that he published did he, did he coin that phrase by yes. the way he did okay yes but was... for some weird reason and I don't know why he lost legal rights to it which explains also why he started Scientology at least partially. I don't know the full details, but apparently he lost rights, maybe publishing rights. But in any case, that's his word. Okay. And Dianetics, it's supposed to be essentially a way for an individual to rid himself of aberrations, okay? So he says that everybody who everybody on earth has some form of trauma that they record and uh basically the, the the way that I can explain this is that he he thought that the mind was broken up into different parts. All right, you have the reactive mind, the analytical mind, and the somatic mind is what he called it. Somatic is just that one's the least important one. It's basically your senses and, and stuff like that. But the reactive mind in uh, in, in Scientology is essentially your every cell in your body records in real time. A memory of everything that's happening, even when you're unconscious. So if you're in a hospital bed, in a coma, and something's happening, like somebody slaps you in the face, your cells will have recorded this memory, or he called those engrams because they weren't in the brain. They were in the cells. Okay? So these engrams are kind of a stored memory in your cell that causes all kinds of problems, essentially psychosomatic illnesses and even some form of, like, an all-mental illness. So this is what he says is basically the cause of all human misery and suffering. I'm just, I'm having, what, what I'm having trouble with is when he says, like, this engram thing and cellular memory, he doesn't mean that, like, as you were saying, like, when you get slapped, um, you get injured or there's bruising or damage. It's like the cells remember being slapped. Yes, Yes, essentially. So doesn't that mean then in his in his messed up world that 
every cell is its own living entity with its own kind of consciousness, or am I kind of misreading it? No, 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 you're going too far with it. Just think about, think about these engrams. Not one cell remembers something bad and another cell remembers something slightly different. Think about it more as a mechanism of pure memory. Uh, and, and the best way to look at it is just imagine that all of your cells had the same camera pointed out all the time recording everything in real time. Now I get it. Okay. So this is, this is what he believes. This is what the reactive mind is. So essentially, and, and this, is, this is sort of like his claim, is that if you audit these types of engrams, basically you have someone who's trained in his techniques that can – and you, you, you basically travel back as far back as you can during that whole time – like just just basically because I guess again let's think of a recorder right you got to press the rewind button go back to the beginning and then you play that forward and essentially try to deal with all of these trying to recall them because if you recall them then they're stored now for some weird fucking reason in your uh, analytical mind so you remember them now and because they're in your analytical analytical mind you can start to try to understand them overcome them and then become clear of them then essentially the engrams disappear. And you become more clear. Okay. All right. So this is this is his, this is his term for clear. You'll hear that a lot in Scientology because that's that's essentially what everybody tries to be more clear. Because the more clear you are, the more kinds of apparent benefits you can have. So in a sense, the, the reason why he claimed, like the 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 claim that he makes that being clear cures ailments, is that he really believed that all of the physical senses that you have. Uh, if there's, let's say you're colorblind or your smell is, sense of smell is no good or you're myopic, well, those could also be solved once you remove all your engrams. So he claimed, of course, that if you could rid yourself of all these bad memories, you'd never have a cold again, your eyesight would be like 20-20, uh, you'd see color if you were colorblind, all those kinds of things. So you could actually f fix physical damage. Correct, and that's what he claims he did. You see, um, he was... Uh, in the Navy in the Second World War, and he claims that he was injured, and in that injury he was hospitalized for, uh, and essentially apparently had some kind of nerve uh, or back damage and also blindness. And that's, and the first claim of Scientology is that he healed himself of these ailments, these physical ailments, through the use of Dianetics, through his science of the mind. So that's his first, and this is probably the most important claim. This is why you would probably see uh, around, like, you've, you probably read this uh, in a couple different places, where there was a lot of talk about Hubbard's medical records uh, mm -hmm. and how he was discharged from the Navy. Yes, in exactly. Yeah, there was a lot of talk yeah. about that. And you probably noticed that the church had provided some documents that were identified as fraudulent. Yeah, well, didn't, didn't, aren't the only, like, official documents that he had an ulcer? Like, isn't that the only thing that was confirmed? Yes, the official documents are he had an ulcer. That is, that is correct. The, the, the medical documents that Scientologists have um, is actually signed by a, um, a, a person who is not on file as ever existing <laughs> in the Navy, uh, and some of the awards that they give him some cross, I forget what it is, uh, they didn't actually become used until two years after he was discharged. So, you know, there's just the claims are obviously completely and utterly bullshit. They're 100 percent bullshit because Hubbard had a bit of a, let's say, 
was a compulsive liar is probably the best way. That's, that's being friendly about it. That's like being very polite about it. <laughs> he claimed at one point that uh, in his travels, because his, his father traveled quite around because he was a, um, uh, an army brat, in one of his travels he said that he was uh, taken in by a, an Indian tribe who made him a blood brother. Uh, and uh, although the tribe never does this t- type of thing, blood brothers don't exist in that tribe. <laughs> and there was no one by the name of Old Tom, which is who the name of the person he said was part of that tribe. So it's just it, it's it's examples like this where he just creates an aggrandized version of himself. Wow. And then it's the church's responsibility to essentially back up these false claims. Wow. I'm like, but it's so easy to disprove. That's what I don't understand. Well, yeah, you, you, I, I asked one of the, 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 the former members of the Sea Org. Now, you asked me, what is the Sea Org, right? You, yeah. you wanted to find that out. Uh, what, what is it? Is the it different? Between yeah, it. Exactly. yeah, exactly. Okay, the Sea Org is essentially the priest class of Scientology. Okay. And the, way, the reason why it's a Sea Org is, is why it's centered around the sea and the Navy and that kind of stuff is just because Hubbard had an obsession with boats he fancied himself to be a war hero, and he kind of wanted to have an organization that was disciplined along the same lines as the as Navy. the Navy. Okay. That, I think everybody's probably seen him in that little Navy. Oh, hat. yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. And, yeah. and besides, the, uh, the outfits for the Sea Org look very much like Navy uniforms, except for more gay. Wow. <laughs> Ironic, eh? <laughs> I know. More gay, right? You want one for a party, for a friend of a friend. Exactly. There we go. I've got. Uh, I'll get the Sea Org outfit and some magic underwear, and we are good to go. <laughs> it's a different religion. It's all. I know. Shut up. <laughs> now I, I asked. I asked this defector, what? Because I mean, it, the, the whole thing you said is it's easy to disprove these kinds of claims. Yeah, that are exactly. Made about. I mean, there's no record, or the records are forged. So why would people still believe if it's easy to just dismiss these types of claims? Yeah. Well, the problem you see is that from what I understand, essentially when you join the organization, you really are sheltered in terms of the kinds of materials that you're allowed to read. So you're, not, you're told to not read any anti-Scientology materials is the first thing. So it's doubtful that anybody who's a Scientologist is going to end up listening to this. Okay. Well, that's good. You won't get sued. There you go. There you go. That's the good news. But uh, because of this, because of this this very insular-like system, like even people who join the Sea Org do so at a very, very young age. Uh, and essentially, they are a slave class. You go over there, you're paid a stipend of about $50. Uh, I think it's per week. Maybe it's even lower. And you're, you're, you're given room board. And from, from what I hear, the, 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 the food is actually pretty damn decent. But it's a small room that you get. And you, you have to work there for a long time. Essentially, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the courses, but they're, they're, still, uh, they're still charging you for these types of courses, uh, in ex- well, usually in exchange for your labor, but you have to remember that they give you no money back um, for it. Right. Well, isn't the big selling point that it's all in tax write-offs at the end of the year? Yeah, well, it's a selling point if it's tax write-off if you're a rich person. If you're a poor person and you give a lot of money to taxes, there is a limit to how much you can declare off taxes. It's not like you get that money back from the government being like, oh, you were so generous. Here's half a million dollars back. No, no. Uh, <laughs> there is an upward limit before giving to any, uh, you know, sort of charity just becomes like, well, too bad. Now it is charity, <laughs> especially when you consider the prices of it. But still, 
Okay, so the organization is very insular, and they essentially take anything that Hubbard has ever said to be the truth. Doesn't matter where it comes from, what what it what it says. He never lied. So if if I tell you that he never was injured, and you're a Scientologist, you can provide me some quote unquote evidence to the fact that he did. You're like, well, here are war records, and it look very official. And of course, telling them that no, this is you know right, this fraudulent, is made up. falsified. This is made up. Um, they would just simply do what most religious people are very good at doing, which is basically be in denial. So don't underestimate the power of denial. No, no, I, 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 I don't. I just, it's, I, I still don't understand how the whole is Scientology occult is not open, is still open for debate. <laughs> like, here's a funny, here's a funny story I mentioned on one of the other podcasts. When uh, in the 1980s there used to be an organization called the Cult Awareness Network. It was people who called into this. Uh, essentially would say, okay, my, my family member is in a cult, and, and they would investigate uh, religions that were springing up for, for the kinds of behavior that cults have. And what happened was that one person who had been in, uh, essentially indoctrinated into Scientology was kidnapped, forcibly kidnapped, and, tried, and they tried to reprogram him. But the whole thing was a disaster, and the person they tried to reprogram and sued the Cult Awareness Network, and they went bankrupt. Now, after they became bankrupt... Who bought the Cult Awareness Network? I remember this story. It seems like something out of, like, terrible fiction. Yeah. Scientology. Yeah. Scientology bought the Cult Awareness Network. And if you call now, odds are you're talking to a Scientologist. The Cult Awareness Network has, become, has changed their mandate to promote religion, to essentially say, like, well, we're promoting religion and we're fighting against uh, discrimination. And... You were asking, why is it not regarded as a cult? Well, a big thing that Scientology did, especially in the 80s, is that they were fighting for recognition. And they were, you know, and, and at the time, everybody was just rightfully calling it, uh, you know, scary cult. And, uh, and what they did was they used this, uh, this fear that people have of saying, well, you're trying to infringe on religious liberties. And we're now sort of recognized minority. And that essentially, at least for a little while, quashed the strong public reaction against Scientology until in a way it started to become a little bit more acceptable in society. And to now well, you don't really even think about, oh, somebody says they're Scientologists, you're usually kind of disappointed. Yeah, you're just like, oh. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, why did you get so fucking roped into this bullshit? Um, but there's an interesting article. This is in the notes, and, and everybody should check it out. It's an interview that the, the reason why I, I decided to do research on Scientology is because of an article uh, in the New Yorker about Paul Haggis and his departure from the church. And it was interesting because the reason we started to depart from Scientology is that uh, he, Scientology had originally gone in favor of Prop 8. I think we can all remember Prop 8. And he was quite dis disappointed with that because he has two lesbian daughters. <laughs> that'll do it. So that'll do it. And uh, and, they, and they became what? Uh, what is it? 1-1? One, one? Yeah, 1-1, one, one, which is uh, a, a kind of... Um, uh, you're 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 acting in a seditious manner, I suppose, is what it is. They, yeah, it's like uh, they're basically like the worst of the worst, right? Like you gotta get like these are these are the the insects that need to be you know completely like uh, detached from their families before they infiltrate Scientology and destroy it. Well, it depends. It, it depends because here's the problem, yes. all right. And I've been asking lots of different Scientologists this question: is like, why is Scientology homophobic? Mm -hmm. 
This is not an easy answer. Especially for anyone who's seen that L. Ron Hubbard in a cat like that. The easiest answer to that um, is that in Dianetics itself, he described uh, homosexuality as being a kind of perversion, a kind of aberration that he was talking. Remember I was talking about aberrations? He described this as being an aberration. So the, the, the truth about L. Ron Hubbard is that there's definitely some streaks of homophobia in his writings mm -hmm. And what did I say about how L. Ron Hubbard is regarded by inside church members? Yeah, he's flawless. Never told a lie. Exactly. Never made a mistake. He's their god. He is, he is their god. I mean, you have to understand that to some degree, Scientology, if you really want to put it into a nutshell, if you want to understand why, why Scientology, what the fuck is this? What is the root, right? Where does it come from? Where does this weed come from? And the answer is really that Dianetics is essentially one of the first self-help books to have ever come out. It is a religion that has been inspired by self-help. So if you look at Dianetics, Dianetics is essentially here's how you help yourself to mental health by doing all these things that I recommend, and then you're going to cure yourself or whatever. The New Age bullshit that you're always hearing about and that kind of stuff, L. Ron Hubbard was writing about this in the 1950s when really self-help was just in its infancy. But even at that point, it became kind of a religion. And the reason it became a religion, and I'm going to go back to why is it so hostile with psychiatry. I know I'm going to feel like we're going to feel like we're bouncing around a lot, but I have no choice. It's how my brain works. Well, this is the, like the, the whole psychiatry thing is kind of one of the like big, almost wedge issues with Scientology. It's like this is the big opposition. Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge issue, and the, and the reason it is a huge issue is because Dianetics is a kind of psychoanalysis. That's the first thing. I mean, when he was writing, when L. Ron Hubbard was writing this, he wanted to be taken seriously. He wanted this to be taken seriously as a form of psychiatry and the kind of mental health practitioner. And he wanted to get popular. And, of course, people who read this were like, this is either, A, a rehashing of uh, psychoanalysis, uh, psychoanalysis techniques that have already been approved or some of them which have been uh, completely disproven and others which don't actually make any sense about how we recognize the human body. And uh, he, he became very bitter with the fact that the scientific establishment essentially uh, discredited him. So did his fellow, fellow uh, pulp writers, which, by the way, felt rather ashamed that he was associated with that. Because Dianetics had become insanely popular in the 1950s, in the early 1950s, because it was like any self-help bullshit out there. There's lots of fucking suckers that just tell themselves, I can change my life with the power of thought. And this is what this is. Now, in 1955, this is when actually Scientology uh, goes to war with psychiatry. And one of the main reasons why it goes to war is because around that time, they started developing real drugs. Uh, psychoanalysts had developed kinds of drugs uh, that were able to treat depression and mental illness. So rather than just having kind of like... Talk it out. Talk therapy. Yeah, just rather than talking it out, they're like, here's a fucking drug. It seems to make people less anxious. And so in 1955, this is really when this, this whole pioneering drug, we can solve everything kind of attitude comes forward. And you know how it is as soon as we discover something new, right? What's the reaction of every human being when we discover something new? Fear! No, actually. No? Surprisingly enough, not fear. Wow. The first thing that happens whenever, whenever something comes along that has this idea of being beneficial is a kind of mania for it. And I'll give you another example. When they discovered radi uh, uh, radioactivity 
Everybody used to put it in their products. It was in toothpaste. It was in perfumes. Oh, my God. That is so bad. It was in fucking everything because everyone was like, wow, this is a new form of energy, and we are all energy or something. And, uh, See, I was, I was thinking, uh, as soon as you had mentioned there was new medicine, my mind immediately jumped to the whole vaccine thing, and I was like, people hated it. People hate vaccines. <laughs> well, this was, I mean, first of all, like I said before, this is, people wouldn't hate vaccines if they saw the results immediately. Right, you saw the results immediately with the kind of medicine that I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, it's just that's true. It's like a, it's like a it's like a diet drug. Everybody's right, and and especially when there's a lot of uh, of, of faulty science, sometimes people can kind of get a little bit too on board. You know, initially people were like, okay, drugs is the way to go. Everybody should take drugs. And at the time, there's like one in twenty Americans that was on this old drug. I forget what it's called, but. Uh, they were all taking this type of antidepressant because they're just like, well, this is just a medical breakthrough. There's no, there's going to be no side effects. That's thalidomide, isn't it? No, 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 no. Thalidomide was used as a morning after, um, uh, as a pill to relieve sickness from from pregnancy. That's all it was. Was that all it was? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was. Um, okay, antidepressant? No, not. Uh, I thought it was for like anti-anxiety and stuff. No, no. It was just basically not, to. Oh. It was a really simple kind of. Uh, Medicine. I am batting 100 today. Although we, we <laughs> apparently use thalidomide for other, it has other uses. I forget what. I think it's a blood thickener. I'm not quite sure. Okay. But, uh, well, we're not doctors, and we're not going to pretend to I'm be. I'm not going to pretend to be, no. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so moving on. Uh, basically, so after he, he, after he declares war, he, he starts to say that psychi uh, psychiatry is essentially an invention of Nazis, and it's 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 basically trying to zombify the world and i suppose at the time he probably had quite a few people that were probably a lot more skeptical about what was happening in terms of the development of drugs and they could pro they, they they probably felt a kind of mm -hmm. oh no now we're going to pacify the whole world and uh and 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 so you know you you can stoke the fires of fear pretty quickly especially when you're coming out of a fledgling science and, and and at the time too you have to understand that electroshock therapy had started becoming more popular as well uh, I think that it, it 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 reached its pinnacle even in the 1980s. I think over 100,000 Americans had received electroshock therapy, and now it's down to like maybe a thousand. So it's really fallen out of favor. Uh, but there was still kind of like a high risk, well, higher than normal risk of death. I think four in every 100,000, which doesn't sound too high, but if you're one of the four, you know, especially seeing how electroshock therapy didn't have or it didn't seem to have any long-term benefit. So it would it would last maybe six months and then symptoms would reappear. So it's, it's it's one of the reasons why it's not used very much. But it's scary if you if you ever watch one flew of the cuckoo's nest, you'd be like, oh my god, they're shocking people and they're turning them into zombies. I've, that is a good movie. Not to get too sidetracked. That's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty fucking awesome movie. But uh, I think that reflected a kind of fear that everybody had re regarding it, and, and and Hubbard stoked a lot of that fear. Uh, and it was a, a, a huge reason was just basically because of how um, how humiliated he had been from the fact that his his psychoanal uh, psychoanalysis had not been uh, approved had been shown to be basically just an invention of an overactive imagination. You know what this reminds me of? What's that? When you're explaining this scenario, it's exactly for me. It's exactly the same way that I find. Um, uh, the whole evolution intelligent design debate is going. It's like, ah, you don't agree with us. You guys are evil. Remember Expelled? It's just, to <laughs> me, it reminds me of the same fucking, that mentality. It's like, well, if I can't help people my way, I'm going to take my ball and run. 
I'm going home. Okay, and here's the. I guess this is the second part. We're gonna we're gonna move on a little bit beyond. Okay, what is the early parts of Scientology in the 1950s? And what did it become sort of later on? Because like I said, L. Ron Hubbard was very prolific in terms of his writing. There's a lot to Scientology that I can't claim to be an expert in. And that one of that is the way that they have words for everything. They have their own terminology. So if you are, let's say, a person who is completely, uh, who's an antagonistic towards the church, like let's say you and me, we would be considered suppressive persons. Right, SPs. Yeah, SPs. And there are very specific guidelines to how to deal with SPs. Um, part of that is uh, litigiousness. That means taking people to court all the fucking time. And, uh, and harassment is also a very popular form. Uh, blackmail, if it's possible. Uh, and depending, of course. Uh, one of the things that people don't realize going into the church, and, and one of my, my source confirmed this, is that whenever they're auditing you in the early parts, they really try to get as much information from you as possible. And uh, the process can be very, very shocking to most. But they feel, at least when you start entering in Scientology, you feel like this is the most moral organization in the world. So why shouldn't you give them all your information? Mm, they're there to help you. They're, they're, they're almost doctors. Right. And, and the idea behind releasing engrams is that they say, well, we have to go and delve far, far deep into your psyche, even sometimes past life regression. Because they believe that these engrams are actually um, much older in terms of the, the, the memory that they've been able to keep. So you have the memory of not just yourself, but even possibly past trauma. And part of that past trauma became the, 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 the kind of theology behind Scientology. Because up until, uh, up until the time where, uh, I think it's the 1970s, where he introduced... I guess what you could say was the next level of, of what Scientology is. And this is the level that you only start finding out once you get to OT3, so Operating Thetan Level 3, when you pass that course. is You're given, and this is what everybody knows who's listening to this, you're given a, uh, a, a sort of history of what had happened. So 75 million years ago, a galactic tyrant named Xenu uh, basically took half the galaxy, put them in volcanoes, erupted the volcanoes with H-bombs, the the de the dead souls were captured, put into clusters, made to watch things so that they would forget about their past, and then released. And these have sort of like influenced our cellular reactive mind memory. This was his introduction to try and and you have to understand. That, remember when Tom Cruise said that he understood the history of psychiatry? Remember that? Yes. When he was yeah. on that Lauer show. That was like when he started going crazy. Yeah. Well, the reason why they think, or, or why he would think that he knows the true history of psychiatry is that in the chronicles that Hubbard talks about, psychiatrists are, is a profession that's trillions of years old, that the old empire had psychiatrists essentially as mind manipulators. And uh, so when they say that they understand the history of psychiatry is because they don't actually think that psychiatry developed, say, uh, in, in, in ancient, uh, in the Middle East, during ancient times as a form of, uh, you know, sort of like the discovery of, of, of mental ailments and, and the treatment of that. No, 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 no. It doesn't, it dates back trillions and trillions of years. So you and I, we don't understand its history. Well, of course not, because we're only, we're only getting to it in terms of, like, the last, what, 100 years? 
Well, no, further than that, actually. They, even in the 19th century, there were, there were effective forms of psychology. The point I was making, yeah, the, po- the point I was making, sorry, was just that... Um, the time scales are a bit uh, different? Yeah, exactly. Like, we know more because we've known about it longer than you have. <laughs> I guess 100 was a bit more, a bit conservative. Um, it was very conservative. Yeah. Even when I dropped you that hint about, you know, the actual age of, 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 of psychoanalysis psycho. as it exists. Here's, yeah. here's, I gave you a clue. Here's, here's the thing: is that uh, for people who don't, it, who, who haven't, who are just listening, as a side note, um, I've been, I got, I just got home from work, so my brain's a little dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I see, I see. Excuses, huh? That's excuses. M- that's my excuse. That's what everybody's gonna fucking. That's what everyone's gonna it hear. It makes you. It makes you look. The history of Scientology, I guess what you could say it's theology, is, yes, it's science fiction, um, in the kind of same way that uh, Star Wars, you know, is, is science fiction. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> you can have the future in the past, because at least when the time frames are long enough, it doesn't mean shit to anybody. And we might, we might seem, like, I, I know this is probably the stupidest reason why people think that Scientology is a cult, but most of the time they think that, I think from this hubris of like, well, the story is so ludicrous and ridiculous and easy to disprove. And I would say, well, how how much more difficult is it to disprove any of the legends of, of religion and any of their mythologies? Here's, here's the difference, and this is going to sound lame, but I actually firmly believe this. It's because the other mythologies and the other um, religions are all fantasy-based, and, sci- and Scientology separates itself because it's sci-fi-based. I know that sounds stupid, but if you think about it, it's like, it's more believe. like, for some reason, I think people would be, like, if a kid would probably be more apt to believe in unicorns, dragons, and fairies than in, like, spaceships, like aliens that, you know, blasting through galaxies. Maybe it's just me, but this is the mentality that I have, it's just, fantasy seems more plausible because it took place on Earth, and... You know, we know Earth is there, and we have magical animals that went extinct that could have done these, this, and this, and this. Whereas Scientology is completely—it's the odd one out because it's, it's almost—it's—it's it's a completely different genre of religion, almost. Well, it's a different genre, but I would say that if you were—if th- you were just judging it based on genre, his version sounds more likely, only because there could be other civilizations out there that have spaceships mm-hmm. and that were around before we were even. A fucking blip, right? In in sort of like the evolutionary timescale before we were even around, that at least has a, a bit more plausibility. Which is, I'm not saying it is plausible, but when you look at say the 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 mythology of some religions, which are just so ludicrous and far out there, I think it's there's a kind of hubris on the part of other religions to say, well, this is ridiculous. I'm like, yeah. This is obviously crazy. <laughs> I agree that that one's ridiculous. In fact, I feel that way about all mythology, be it science mm-hmm. or, you know, science mythology or just mythology. Yeah, I think, I think we just got acclimatized to having our religions and our, our, our traditions and our folklore sor- served up in a certain way. I think that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. And, yeah. and why, you probably ask yourself, why would anyone who reads this, who gets to OT3 just... Look at it with a straight face and say, this has to be right. That's the thing that I never understood. I was like, how do you get to space aliens and not be like, okay, I'm out. I've wasted the last 20 years of my life. Well, look at it. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Okay, you're just saying, all right, is a person going to accept the story? And just like all religions, 
There are parts of that religion where not everybody is going to accept every single fucking tenet. So if a person is a Christian, he may not have believed that, uh, you know, Lot was raped by his two daughters. He may not have believed that the sun stood still for three days. For him, it's not about that specific belief. Even, even Paul Haggis, who was talking about having read it, said that he just, he, he, was, he read it with some skepticism. It, it didn't really play that huge of a role. And he said that he had at least enough from Scientology that it didn't matter. That part didn't matter. But but isn't the Xenu part of Scientology, like that, that whole sci-fi legend part of Scientology, wouldn't that be the same as like a Christian who's Christian who doesn't believe that Christ came back from the dead? Like isn't that like the core thing? Like isn't that like that's what makes Scientology Scientology is that space alien story? No, 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 no. Look, you have to look at it more as a, a religion that evolves in a different uh, s sequence if you want because Scientology doesn't start – with that mythology. That mythology comes later. It starts with Dianetics. But it's the origin story, right? In a sense, in a sense, you, you kind of have to understand that I think that by that time, um, L. Ron Hubbard had been writing more and more about what engrams wa were, where they came from, and I think that he started to try to, he wanted to create a, a, a universe of his own where, where, Everything that we experienced was somehow connected to a broader galaxy. I think that's where it comes from. It's, it's the desire to step outside of just our little backwoods, just Earth, and say, well, no, all your engrams are part of a whole galactic empire that had existed and still, in a sense, apparently exists, and that your negative emotions are tied into that. I think that gives people sort of like a, a feeling of being part of a galactic community rather than just being fucking, you know, backwards sheep fuckers. Okay. I, I, I just, I find for me it's just, I, I guess it's kind of, it would be on the same lines as the, uh, the whole like people that are Christian don't necessarily believe the Adam and Eve story. I, I, I guess. It just, to me, it doesn't make any sense, but I, I guess... At that point, you're acclimatized to making those kinds of emo like mental gymnastics anyway, right? It was, the mental gymnastics are made because by the time you reach that level, your, your degree of involvement within the organization is enough that you don't want to lose what you've already gained. This is the reason why Scientologists continue to be Scientologists even when shown some of the darker aspects of their religion because at the end of the day, they still feel to some degree that, they're, that they've got something out of it. For some people, they'll tell you, my relationship got better or he gave me tools to try to understand the world uh, where before I didn't have those. And those mean a lot to people, especially individuals that are very confused and very vulnerable, uh, I would say gullible, but nevertheless, it's that whole religion being defined from personal experience. They have a personal experience with Scientology that's positive. Therefore, the thought is that Scientology itself must be positive. You can see, you can see where that's a mistake. Oh, it's, it's totally flawed logic. But I, having dealt with religious people for all my life, I, I, I get it. it just, I, I still think it's crazy. Sorry. <laughs> I, still, I think it's all crazy. I just, for me, I am of the camp that, like, space but like I said, it wasn't the first part of it, and it, and, and it is... I, I think in a way probably that's the design of it, right? It's like you don't want to show the wizard at the beginning of the movie, right? You want people to enjoy the ride for a little bit before they realize it's complete crazy. Again, I mean, by the t I think by the time you've reached the, the 
part where you're supposed yeah. to accept the story, you've already accepted certain premises which back up the story, which is to say L. Ron Hubbard never told a lie. I want to deal with how Scientology deals with uh, detractors, because this is a really important part, and this is one of the things that was mentioned in the article in The New Yorker, which is basically to say the, the uh, author claims that the FBI is investigating the church, and the reason why it's investigating the church has everything to do with the way that it deals with apostates or defectors. If you watch any video about a person sort of uh, talking about Scientology publicly, what you'll notice is a, a campaign by the church to have this person discredited in every way imaginable, sort of saying, well, they're an adulterer, you can't trust them, they have a vendetta against the church because they owed us a whole bunch of money and then we took her. There will always be, in every accusation of the church wrongdoing, there will always be one thing that you can count on, and that is an attempt to discredit the people who are making the claims. That is their first tactic. And the way that they achieve this is that during the auditing session, I mentioned before that it was a very personal process and that you, you just try to go back and identify all the traumatic experience, but it's also kind of like a confession where you talk about some of the things that you did and a lot of times, I mean, every single session is recorded, uh, both audio and video. So imagine you went over to the confession and the priest was just suddenly recording you and keeping fucking detailed files about you. And now imagine you wanted to leave the church. What would the reaction of the pastor be? Well, we have all this information on you. you blackmail. Better keep your fucking... Yeah, exactly. Blackmail. So blackmail is, the, is their M.O. of trying to deal with anybody that might cause any kind of problems or fuss or mess or even think about leaving the church. But isn't, that, that's what qualifies under their whole fair game uh, uh, idea, right? Like, it's just that if someone's an enemy of the church, you do anything in... Like, everything possible to ruin that person. Well, that's that's the paranoia of, of Hubbard being expressed mm -hmm. in his religion because I, mm -hmm. I think that the same way, imagine you commission a website or a piece of artwork or something like that that you want made. Now, evidently, you can have a vision about what it is going to be, but it's going to be heavily influenced by the personality of the person that makes it. So a, a program will have elements of the program. Just the, the logic behind it will be a reflection to some degree of the person who made it. Same with religion. So Scientology is a direct reflection of the kinds of habits and mentality that Hubbard has. So his, his paranoia, his um, compulsive lying. These are elements that are part of Scientology because they're part of L. Ron Hubbard. They, they describe the man and the religion is based on that man. So anytime you, you sort of like wonder, why is it that Scientology is so secretive? Why are they so litigious? All of these things are really reflection of, of L. Ron Hubbard, the man. This is, this is his, when you're paranoid, of course, and they have every reason to be paranoid. They engage in some sketchy-ass activity. They have in the past sort of stolen FBI files. Uh, they have kidnapped members of their own church. And uh, and 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 even tortured them. Yeah, yeah. And and there's even what was that that woman? Uh, Do you remember the woman who was killed? Yeah, I forget her last name. It's something McPherson. Um, yeah. But like that's scary shit. But beyond that, I mean, just don't don't just think about that one case. Really, what happens is that people who say say you defect for the first time, 
or you do something that they consider to be an aberration. They, they send you to a place, and I'm not shitting you here. It's called Happy Valley. Wow, that is some fucking Stepford Wives shit right there. <laughs> yeah. So Happy Valley is a place where Sea Org members who try to escape or leave go to. It's been described as a kind of re-education through labor camp. And this is where people are just sort of sent to. And you, you can't really escape. Although they say that people are free to leave at any time, I really believe that actually there's a kind of um, learned helplessness. I don't know if you remember the, the podcast where I talked about that psychological idea where um, basically they tortured dogs. With, with right, and then they leave the door open. And the do- dogs and don't leave. And the dog leave. doesn't escape. Exactly. So this is, yeah. this is the kind of... Um, this is what happens to people who are within the organization. So they have had enough torture, psychological, and they, for the most part, the church actually deals with a very powerful tool that most people actually overlook because they think it's not a big deal: embarrassment, socially mm-hmm. social embarrassment. If you wonder mm-hmm. how powerful that is, let me ask you this: What is a worse sentence if you were caught shoplifting, having to do community service, or having to sit by a highway with a sign saying "I'm a shoplifter and a thief"? Do they actually do that? There are some people that get sentenced to that. Yeah, sentenced through embarrassment. They do it mostly for youths. That's fucked up. But yeah, no, you're you're right. It's humiliation like that, uh, being branded. Yeah, uh, it's, it's torture. Yeah. So what they do essentially is let's pretend a woman commits adultery. So what she has to do is she has to tell everybody uh, that's in part of her group, part of her church, what she's done, what she's done to Mm -hmm. repent those things, and then everybody else has to decide whether or not they forgive her. And if you forgive her too easily, then other people come down on you. So there's a very kind of groupthink, group control element to it, where if you do anything, everybody is sort of there to tattletale on one another, to try to... To, to, to essentially give information about the activities of other people at all times. It is a very, very, very paranoid institution, down to its roots. They trust, they trust nobody. They trust no one. They don't trust That's even their own up. members. <laughs> well, they, they've set it up in such a way that you can't trust any of your members because as soon as you trust some of it, like, because uh, you know that you're just feeding them eventual, like, potentially ammunition. You know, you're just giving them ammunition. I can't imagine what kind of strange and very stressful environment that's got to be because public and peer pressure is one of the strongest forces that we know. Like, why does yeah. why do mobs exist? It's just we we go with the masses. It takes a huge amount of effort to separate yourself from that. That's why, you know, if anybody asks me why are there still religions or those kinds of things, because it takes a lot of guts to say no when the majority of people say yes. It takes a lot of fucking guts. Now, uh, and they, they play on that. Oh, they fucking play on it so bad. Um, yeah. Anyways, before, because I think we'll have to cut it short, because I might have to do sort of like a two-parter for this one, because there's just so much to talk about. There is so much, yeah. It's... We haven't even touched on, like, a lot of content in that email. I know. I know. There's just um, – what we'll do is I, we'll, we'll ask everybody if they want a part two for the next bonus show, if they want us to continue to do maybe some other elements of Scientology that you guys want to know that we didn't bring up or, or something that I may have forgotten. And I can also ask, you know, if you send me, if you send me questions, there are some parts of it that you're really curious. I can try to find those answers. That's what I've been trying to do. Most of the – most of the parts that are, have made up the show were from questions from people on Twitter. So please uh, go on Twitter and sign up. Uh, you may not, some of you may not know this, but we are tr- the about.com 
uh, site has the, the, the finalists for Best Atheist Podcast. We have made the five finalists. We are getting your asses kicked by Atheist Experience. If you listen to the show and you're like, I love this show. Well, number one, we're making this show free for freebie members. So you freebie members, you've got to go vote. <laughs> <laughs> Vote. You're behind. By, well, the thing is, is you're in second place, though. Oh well, second is the first loser. I want to win this. I want to win this. A thing. Positive outlook. <laughs> I don't want to come in second. You're a positive man. Yeah, I am a positive All man. Right. Thank you. Well, the only the good thing is, is that you're still coming in second. And when you look at the atheist experience, they they're they're dabbling in like all sorts of media, like TV and public access and whatever. So you're still. It's. I I hope you win too. But second place isn't that bad. Look, dude. I, I'm just saying. That's not the fucking kind of attitude that we need here, all right? We need the, we're going to crush this thing. I need everybody who listens to the show to vote. You're, Seriously. Everybody. You're a hockey mom. Yeah. I want to motherfucking win. I, Look, it, it means more for, for me. You deserve it. I like it more. I like, Good Atheist is a better podcast. I say go ahead. I'm just saying second place isn't the worst. Well, uh, I appreciate your defeatist attitude. I'll have none of it. So please go to the site. There's a link that's going to be on the site um, for it. You can also search for it by, if you go to uh, atheism.about.com. Yep. You'll see the categories. There's also lots of other categories, best podcast, best blog, best forums, those kinds of things. Obviously, we don't qualify for those, but uh, you can still go vote. Might as well. Uh, yeah. I think that in general, having a successful award voting thing will just be good for atheism in general, show that people are fucking connected to the shit. I agree. I agree. Now, uh, also, before we go, I'd like to thank everybody who's a contributing member. So everybody who's, uh, who became a patron, who either paid the $20 or even the more uh, generous people that paid $5 a month for the shows. I'd like to thank you guys uh, so much for that. You're the reason why we continue to do the shows. You're the reason why we exist. Uh, and uh, and we, I, I wanna, uh, the reason I want to win this thing is just because we're still so small. We're still so small that something like that would really make a difference. Uh, it w okay, I, I will change my attitude. I will campaign. Good. I don't know how. I have zero popularity and zero clout. I just created a Twitter page like two days ago. And I want other people that listen to also try their best to campaign for. This means a lot to me, and, uh, and I think that it would be a huge feather in our cap. Look, uh, the atheist experience, they have their fame already. They have their recognition. We have none. So let's try to get some, and let's fucking give it a good run because – there is a chance we may not win, but fuck, I don't want to uh, concede just yet. Let's win this bitch. All right. Vote for, vote, vote for Jay. Do it now. Vote for the good atheist. Yeah, do it now. And if you want us to do a second bonus show on more Scientology stuff, you can send me an email, jake at thegoodatheist.net, or just go to the site and uh, click on the little email icon. Email me your questions, and we'll do another one if we have enough good questions on it. There's, Like I said before, there's lots of stuff to talk about, but it's just sometimes so engrossing that uh, it is exhausting. But I want to get as much information as possible. Remember, this this is the kind of stuff that's going to make the book, too. So uh, book progress is working out pretty good. And uh, the book, by the way, is will be free for everybody who's a, uh, who, who, who's a hardcore member. So everybody that's paying $5 a month when the book comes out, they will get that book for free, which is pretty awesome. Nice. All right. With that, my name is Jacob Vortan. And I'm Jeffy Jones. Have a good atheist day, everybody.